Hey guys, this is And The Writer Is, and I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special events, or buy some of our merchandise, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Oh, and if you enjoy this podcast, please rate us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast listening site is. We really appreciate that effort. All week, we've been celebrating the 51st annual CMA Awards, where the biggest stars came together on one stage. Hope you had a chance to see Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood host the 51st annual CMA Awards last night on ABC with collaborations by Kelsey Ballerini and Reba McIntyre, Brad Paisley and Kane Brown, Maren Morris and Niall Horn, and don't forget Pink, who got to sing Barbie's co-written by yours truly. It was country music's night to shine with unforgettable performances and the best of the best honored in several categories. You can check out winners and highlights at CMA Awards awards.com or watch the show on on demand a lot can happen in three years like a chat bot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com today's guest on cma week is the one and only ashley gorley he has been Songwriter of the Year for ASCAP for many years running now, which is so impressive. 34 number one hits. I mean, he's really just one of the best in the industry, the whole industry. I'm so excited for you to hear it. I hope you enjoyed the show last night. Uh, but without further ado, let's get straight into the interview. And the writer is featuring Ashley Gorley. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. This week's writer is Breaking Records. He's a four-time ASCAP Songwriter of the Year in 2009, 2014, 2015, and 2016. He's a two-time Billboard number 1 Country Songwriter of the Year in 2013 and 2016. He's a nine-time CMA Triple Play Award winner and has number 1 hits, 33 number 1 singles. And those numbers don't include the countless hits his publishing company, Tape Room, publishes. So he's definitely an above-average songwriter and entrepreneur. But what he's best at is being a husband and a father. And the writer is maybe the most prolific writer in country music history, Ashley Gorley. Hey, thanks. I'll take that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Hi. What's up, buddy? Um, so... I was gonna list. I was gonna go through all the songs that you've done because rather than going through each one and talking about how you wrote them, I just want like the number thirty three. That's right, right? There's thirty three. Yeah, yeah, ones? that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know the the you say thirty three and that uh, that means one thing, but if you were to even count to thirty three, it sounds like <laughs> a long time. Right. And so this is only gonna take a minute, but I just want to name them. So hey. it'll be like 
a quick, you know. Goodness, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. Dirt on my boots. A guy with a girl. American country love song. T-shirt. You should be here. Middle of a memory. Heartbeat. Good girl. All American girl. Don't forget to remember me. Dirty laundry. I see you. Kick the dust up. Play it again. That's my kind of night. Crash my party. Nothing like you. Young and crazy. Don't it. Hey, girl. Rewind. Don't ya. Just getting started. Tonight looks good on you. Aw, oh, nah. Yeah. Running out of moonlight. It's hard to do, right? Oh, yeah, I know. That's, Today, that's really American Saturday night. Then, start a band. It won't be like this for long. And you're going to miss this. Yeah, that was that was that was nice. I loved I loved the inflection. How crazy! There. It was great. Yeah, it sounded great. How crazy is that? Do you it's still? Crazy, yeah. Do you um uh, have you ever read through all of them? <laughs> like, I've never done that. No, I've never read them out loud. It's like it takes or in a, a list at once. It takes no. the whole like what would be the equivalent of like the intro through a whole right, song yes. of just naming titles. Yes, we've been very fortunate to have. Have some success there in those, so I don't take that for granted. So you, you're, you know, you're, you're born in Kentucky. Yep. You know, usually I, I, I like to ask how they got started, but in in one of our new segments that we're gonna call, um, what would Luke Laird ask? Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> hilarious. He says, when you DJed your high school dances, what was what more Luke likely to get? <laughs> <laughs> when you DJed your high school dances, what was more likely to get those Kentucky kids grinding? R. Kelly's Your Body's Calling or Adina Howard's Freak, Freak like, like Me? Oh, gosh. R. Kelly. R. Kelly is the one to go to. A little two double-time slow dance kind of vibe right there. But the, Adina would be good, too. Atomic Dog usually... And Humpty Dance would begin and end every every dance, the, every set. They would really begin? Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you know every lyric? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. we get on the mic and yeah, yell it out with the with the song or whatever. So you start off okay. So let's let's even go. For I, just, I just loved hip hop R and B. Me and Luke are real similar in that uh, era. Yeah, yeah. Loved. yeah. He did say you did DJ with tapes. Yeah, I had a cassette deck that had the pitch control on it. I don't even know how I found one, but I thought it was like gold. You know, so yeah. you could barely you know you could speed it up a little bit on the edge, um, and then CDs right after. It was like right at the era of. Cassettes turning into CDs, you know, so right there. Did your parents play music? No. <laughs> they play like AM radio, like high school football games and stuff like that. I mean, there, there was a little bit of maybe a touch of country music or something around the house, but I was, um, at that point, I was the only child in the house. I have a brother and sister that are several years older than me, so they were already out, you know, out of the house. So it was more of a watching MTV and then heading to the bedroom and trying to make, make stuff and make uh, mixtapes and and I had a buddy that... But uh, you were always into music. Always right? into music, yeah. yeah. Well, always you messing were... around with little instruments or keyboards or my grandmother had a piano that I would mess around on or whatever, just from... Did even, you take piano uh, lessons? I did, like, for a few months one time when I was a little kid. It didn't It didn't make good sense to me, so I didn't do it for very long. But it at least got a start. And then I tried to take piano in college, and it was, like, the worst grade I ever got it was in any class. Because by then, everything was completely wrong that I was doing. So it was, it was too late to... Too late to make it correct, you know? Yeah, it's hard to fix those lifelong mistakes. Yes. Um, so you go to high school and you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to start DJing parties. Yeah. You, yeah man. Is that when you started that? Definitely. Me and a guy I played basketball with, Derek, uh, Derek Johnson, who is still 
we're still good friends and keep in touch. He had an uncle that had like these huge speakers. I don't even know why. And like a little mixer, like with crossfade on it and a tape deck. And then I had a tape deck. So we just hook him up to that mixer and he would let us use his speakers for like 10 bucks or whatever. You know, we'd just put them in the back of a, somebody, somebody have to drop us off. We weren't old enough to drive when we started doing it. So we'd just go to, to a house party or a school dance and, and, uh, set it up and rock it. So you were never the attendee at the school dances. You were just the DJ. Well, I would, no, no, I, I was, I had to get out there on the floor too, but, um, you know, you can let that mixtape roll for a little while till it till it gets to the end of the side or or when it was CDs, you could do that. But it would be like other people's parties and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Or maybe another another little function. We had a lot of for whatever reason dance, even birthday parties and stuff were like dance parties. You know, like we just rent somebody would rent a little floor, like an athletic club or something like that. You know, where they do yoga, and we'd just rock out and turn it into a into a dance party. Did you get paid for that? Yeah. Nice. Remember we charged like fifty bucks to a hundred bucks somewhere in that range. That's and it was kind awesome. of a, that was, that's good money. Yeah, at it was that point. legit. And it was fun. We we it, it was great. So when do you start actually writing? Were you writing during all uh, this? No, but I was like, you know, we, I would buy the singles of stuff. Like I remember I had like seven the, versions the of what? The, they're singles, you know, like they'd be in a little <laughs> sleeve, and they were that's what it would say. It's a single, and I have like ten versions of a song. Like, what was your first single? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember. I'm pretty sure mine been was like, Fushnikins featuring oh gosh, Shaquille, Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> What's up, Doc? Yes, that, that's an amazing song. Yeah, I had that one for sure. <laughs> but there was, I mean, I liked pop stuff too. So I had like, Here I Go Again, White Snake. Oh, Right Here Waiting, Richard Marks was a single that was blue, bright blue, the cassette was. But yeah, I, and that's uh, a great slow dance. So oh, like, you can, oh yeah. so good. But yeah. I had like, you know, I'd, I remember I had one for Let's Chill by Guy, which is amazing. Uh, a little Teddy Riley jam, but it had like seven versions of it. It would be like the ultra chill mix, the bedroom mix, the what, and there would be an acapella somewhere. Most of those would have an acapella, and then I would like try to mix it with like an instrumental of another one. You know what I mean? So I wasn't, I didn't realize I was writing, but I was figuring out subconsciously what type of music would go with what type of melody. You know what I mean? Like what could lay underneath it, I guess. Why did you get into doing country then if your background was starting, you know? getting into well, cut, all that. I think lifestyle, you know? So, like, we had a, a tobacco farm and things like that. Um, Your family did? Yeah, yeah. So it was a small town. It's like a factory and farm town. And so um, I was... It's not like I was anti-country at all. It was just the culture of my school and all that stuff was more like... They, we just loved hip... I mean, a bunch of country kids that loved hip-hop R&B, you know, which is actually really common <laughs> if you talk to a lot of people from that area or, or down here or wherever. So... Um, country, like I remember my parents or my grandmother especially would have like some country cassettes around. So I was like a little hip to some of the names and I would see like, they'd watch like an award show on TV, the CMAs or whatever back in the day when like Vince Gill was winning everything. And so I like, there's an appreciation for it, but I never, I never considered that something I would be like writing or working on or anything, you know? So I, I really, when I moved to Nashville, I didn't know what I was, I didn't know I was like going to be a country songwriter. I just knew that I was going to work in music somehow. You know, I may be an engineer. I may be a producer. Um, I thought I'd be maybe on the business side, you know, publishing or a label or something like that. Were you singing? No, no, no. I mean, I sang in choir because it was fun in high yeah. school, but I was never like... You were never... You never wanted to be I was never out to be a... No, 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 not at all. Yeah. So why do you move to... Why and when do you move to Nashville? Oh, well, I mean, late 90s, when I, when I got out of high school, then... Uh, 
you know, obviously picking colleges, there's only a handful that had this, you know, I was really passionate about music business, not not music where I have to read it because that made no sense to me. But I knew that I had heard of a couple programs that like teachers, teachers in high school, toward the end of high school, they knew I was really into it. They gave me like a couple of independent studies where they'd give me a class to just like mess around with samplers and keyboards and stuff like that, um, which was awesome. But, uh, I knew that I wanted to do something in, in that industry. And so it was like Belmont, MTSU, or I had to go to like Atlanta or LA or something like that. So I mean, I'd never been anywhere. So Nashville was like going to London, you know, from even though it was like three or four hours away from my hometown. And so I picked that because it was closest. And I was like, hey, if this doesn't work out, I can drive home, you know? Right. And so, um, so that one, you know, when I researched in Belmont was kind of the one target, you know, that I wanted to, that I wanted to chase. And so I ended up going there. Were your parents supportive of you doing music? They were, yeah. That's what that's what I was telling people. They they were um, really supportive, even when they had no idea what was going. You know, it'd be like if my daughter wanted to get into fashion, which I have no no clue about, or, or some something where I'd have nothing, you know, no knowledge of it. But you still don't tell them they're crazy or anything like that. So they were really good at knowing that I was passionate about it. And um, I remember my dad would always say. He would encourage me to find something I loved and to try to figure out a way to make money at it instead of the opposite. Like start making money and then try to talk yourself into loving whatever gig you've got. And I always thought that was great advice. You know, I'm gonna I'm trying to instill that in my kids too. And so that's that's what I was thinking the whole time. I was like, I love this, I gotta figure out a way to make money at this somehow, you know. Did you graduate? Yep. I did. Were were you working throughout your you know, yeah, it was a very non-college experience for me. So I was taking all eight o'clock. I mean, the classes. campus is down the street, yeah, yeah, so it's, it's not really street. like that. You didn't really go that far, from, right, 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 from school either. Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> you're literally blocks from there. Right? Exactly. So I would, but I would, you know, I didn't know what music girl was or anything. Like it's not, I didn't come here as a kid and go tour it or anything. So um, I didn't. It took a while to even understand what was happening. You know, understand that what those houses were and what songwriters were doing. And you know, I, I was in college before I knew that songwriting was a gig you could do without being a master class musician or singer you know so once i figured that out which was toward the end of my freshman year then i started going for that you know going for what they called a staff songwriting deal somewhere you know but so had I, you actually written a song at that point i yeah i would like at the end of high school i wrote some songs um what's your first song some horrible called? songs oh my, my first country song is called i've already made plans oh and oh. it had a uh, not it wasn't good but can it was you, a, can you sing a, it? I can't. <laughs> like, can I you can't. can you can it you not sing it because you won't sing it, or yeah, you no, genuinely I, I can't, don't know? I can't it. think of it right now. It was not good yeah, enough yeah. to uh, try to. No, it was super country and stock. Everything about it. But that was when I started dabbling. Like, man, I like this, you know, little story vibe, and it had a, you know, I like trying to write ballads, and they they started having a little infusion of R and B and country in them, kind of toward the end of high school, and right when I got to college. So when I was at college. I was all early classes, and I had a work study, which means I had to work uh, to make some of the money to go toward college, and then I would intern too. So that took up all day, all night, and then I would try to write from like six whenever I got done with that till you know ten or eleven o'clock at night. Did you have people cutting these demos? Yeah. So they, in, in that program, one of the things is like studio production or whatever. So I would write a song and do a work tape, um, and then other is like a student would engineer it so it might, it might be horrible or it might depend on who you get you know you kind of get them drawn out of a hat whoever's in the class so somebody will help produce it somebody will play on it so everybody is like a student so i know um, record labels right now that are very similar yeah, to very that, similar. where it's like it's a, still a roll of a dice yeah. who the engineer is and you but, might walk in and just say oh yeah 
Oh man, this yeah. is gonna be a long day. And I got really lucky. Like my, <laughs> I remember one of my first sessions. There was a guy playing fiddle on the session, who I was like, "Well, gosh, this guy. I think this guy's really good. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about." And it was like he ended up being Brad Paisley's fiddle player the next year he left school, and he still is his fiddle player. Like he's amazing. And I had Ben Phillips playing drums, who still drums on like masters and engineers you know, demos here in Nashville all the time. So just, I got lucky with the first session or two, uh, just with some random talent and people that made stuff sound good. So were there artists that were coming out of Belmont? Yeah, there were artists okay. like, like, um, I remember the first female demo I ever did. I got Hillary Lindsay to sing the demo <laughs> and, uh, she was there cool. at college the first year with, you know, same year as me. Yeah. Um, and then she got a deal immediately, which I was nowhere near being able to get a deal. But so that kind of, all that stuff spoiled me. I was what, like, I was like man, all she... girls sing like Hillary Lindsay. This is going to be an awesome you know, town and she's the best, you know? So it was crazy. Stuff like that happened. When you say she got a deal. She got a deal as a, uh, right, a publishing a deal. Publishing yeah. deal. Yeah. So were you like, well, hey, let's write together. Let's write together. Let's no, write together. we didn't write till like 10 years after that probably. Right. I, w I didn't know. We had like a couple common connections when I got her to sing that song. So it wasn't like I was just hanging out with her and right. you're writing with her all the time. So the first five or 10 songs I wrote by myself. Right. Because I wasn't about to expose, you know, right. <laughs> everything to, to whoever in a room. But I would, then I got set up on a couple blind co-writes, uh, with, with people that I became really good friends with and I thought that was really fun. So I got really hooked on just trying to, I would walk around the piano rooms at Belmont or hear people out playing their guitar or doing, doing anything. If I heard something I thought was great, I would just be like, hey, we should write a song right now. Let's go, you know? That's still how you are. Still, still kind of the same way. Yeah. yeah. So be careful. Right. Um, this is going to turn into something very different very quickly <laughs> right, right, right. if we're not careful. Yeah. Um, so did you go from, when did you know that you had like a real song i mean there's a difference between writing yeah. songs versus like oh you know what i'm gonna you know i want to get a staff writing job to to like maybe i can do this yeah, yeah it's funny well it's because i would i interned at a couple of places and i'd listen to the songs and be like i think i can beat these songs you know like i don't know how but these i think i can i think i can do this and i remember going back and writing a couple of songs that um where were I, you interning Sorry. Oh, places that don't exist now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, right, right at the beginning, it was yeah. like kind of startup companies. Uh, right. Then I interned for a place called Hamstein Publishing, who was like independent publisher of the year. They had a number one party the first day I interned there. So there's some really good places that I, you know, interned eventually and then got jobs, you know, working at. Um, but I, I, wrote, I wrote a couple songs that people, you know, they're also wannabe artists at Belmont, right? So I would just be like, hey, I became friends with a couple of them. Uh, just hanging out with some of the guys and they would say, hey man, I need a song I'm trying to try out for this thing where they'd let you play a song at like a charity basketball game halftime or something like that at school. So I was like, oh, here's the song. It was like sucked. But for whatever reason, they picked it and they picked him. So then he sang it in front of like however many people were there at the thing, you know, thousands of people and had people like playing along. Artists were playing along with him on stage. And I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Like I'm in the crowd and everybody's kind of clapping along. This kind of sounds like, it didn't sound like a hit, but it sounded like it had something. How so, old were you at the time? Probably 19 or 20. Yeah. And um, one of the producers of this podcast, Casey Robinson and I lived on the same hall freshman year of college. That's crazy. Which I mention all the time. It's like the, the, some, there's something about, you know, when you grow up with people in this industry, you start you start game planning much earlier than you need to. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start dreaming, dreaming yeah. big early. So yeah, that was the thing. So he, I was really fortunate to do that. And then, uh, then there was a period where I had no deal, and I for about a year, and I was just doing everything I could. You know, like uh, temp jobs and you know trucking. Was it frustrating? Stuff. Uh, 
it wasn't super frustrating because I didn't, I wasn't sure I deserved one in the first place, you know, but, and it just made me, uh, I knew I was going to get another one. I was very, I've always been really determined, but it wasn't like a total shock that, that, that I went several months without one, you know? Um, but then I I had a couple of options at the end of that. Um, where were you living? I mean, if you have, if you're in Nashville, which I guess it was cheaper at that point than it is now, but oh yeah, you know, really a lot cheaper. Right? Yeah, I was paying two hundred bucks for every utilities included, you know, with two roommates a month, so it was okay. Right? Yeah. yeah, and I was like I said, I was working. I would get up at five in the morning and go like um, drive. Uh, I still remember where and like log in trucking stuff for Avert Express. Or I would work FedEx, you know, on the line, or I would do it was like a different job every week, you know, yeah. putting boxes together or something horrible, something mundane. And the whole time I was like, I'm, I got to get this going, you know? So then as soon as I got out of there, I'd work on music and was super motivated to get another deal. And the next deal I signed was with Combustion Music in 2001, and I'm still affiliated with them, you know, 16 years later. That's crazy. So mm-hmm. you, you signed in 2001, and how soon after that till an actual name artist or signed artist even... It's like, you know what, I like this. I like this song. Yeah, you know, I always have like holds. I feel like I could make stuff sound good. Uh, you know what I mean? Like in the demo world, but it, the songs just weren't great enough for somebody to grab and, and take off with. So it was a minute. It was um, it was funny when I, when I got that first deal, it was 99. And my first co-write was with a guy that had had a couple hits. And he told me in that write, I remember he, he said, it takes, hope you're not in a hurry, it takes seven years to have a hit in Nashville. And I was like, "That sounds horrible," you know. But yeah, and you're, j- and of course, every writer thinks, "Oh yeah, I'm for sure." Gonna yeah, like that. I'm going to do this next year. So yeah. that was '99. In 2006, I had my first hit. So seven years wow. later, yeah, I had a first, and my first top forty was my first number one. It went, you know, I had a few things that dwindled, at, you know, that fizzled out at the bottom of the chart before that that I was super hype about that you know made like a hundred bucks, but. Um, first number one was Carrie Underwood after she won Idol and it sold a bunch and it was a great a great kind of first step how how were you able to leverage that I mean was it did you leverage that or was that just giving you Mm -hmm. confidence yeah it was just like oh you can do you know you get one hit it can still be a fluke at least here I feel like that you know so it's like it's not like everybody goes oh you got this one hit it's like you're great you know it's like oh you got of course that worked it's on Carrie Underwood she just won American Idol Mm -hmm. and then you almost need a, a run of a few in a row to get taken seriously in Nashville, I think. Interesting. So, uh, so, you know, I had that one in 06, and then I had two or three. In 2008, it started rocking, you know, a little more where there it was a steady and different artists, different types of songs to where I was getting better co-writes and everything started started uh, going up. Were you ever nervous that it would go backwards? Oh, every, I still am today. I mean, I am all the time. I always really? think the last thing you get cut is like, at some point it is, you know, the last the last hit you have. And you don't know it for like three years after it happens, you know, yeah. that it's your last one. But I'm I'm like an odd combination of very confident and very insecure, like I think most writers are, you know. So I'm like, I can go from I'm unstoppable to like I need to retire immediately in a breath, you know. Do you go home with that? Like- yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I try not to. I, I, I can turn it off pretty well at home. At home, The great thing about when I go home is it doesn't matter that I'm a songwriter. It doesn't come up. I don't play songs for people when I get there. Um, and it's, you know, everybody there loves me for who I am, not for if I happen to get a placement that, or whatever that day, you know. So um, that's a saving grace for me. So I don't necessarily, but, but I, it can definitely, it's a struggle for it not to affect my mood if I'm not winning. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. 
Do you feel like you're winning right now? Yeah, right now I do. But but it's also, yeah, I'm a little insatiable. Um, you know, my my first thought usually when I get a few songs recorded, like if I had some, I had some good luck yesterday, and it's like, all right, that's good. But now, what about these other things? You know, there's so many so many irons in the fire that it's not like I'm not satisfied. I'm just also expect a lot out of myself. So it's not like one song on an album and I'm good. Well, if you it's have like, ten, why don't sing- I have, if you, know. you have ten singles out and nine of them are in the top ten, you're wondering why. Yeah, what happened to that other one? What happened to the other yeah, one? It's bit. always the focus. But, but I'm also also very thankful. So it's not like I'm like irritated by that. No, no, you know, of course. Just, I'm just driven by that. So, so yeah, it doesn't, you know, I, I work really hard at it. And um, uh, again, like I'm, I'm confident I can get on everybody's album. So when it doesn't happen, I'm like, man, what's going on? I got to fix something, you know? Right. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, going back, when did you start the your personal life? Like, how did you have a personal life when you've been so determined to be a songwriter? When, when does oh, that start? Well, I mean, and, I, I got um, married in 2000. Okay, so before so like, all of it. right when I had got a deal, my wife um, most likely thought, all right, he's going to dabble in this music for a minute like everybody else does for like a, a year and then um, then we'll like move back to our hometown or whatever, you know, like then... Oh, is she from... Is she she, from she's from about 25 minutes from where I'm from. So mm-hmm. like not the same school or anything, but we met right at the end. The perfect thing is that I feel like God orchestrated was that we met right at the end of high school. So not necessarily... High school sweethearts from all the, you know we didn't we were different schools which worked out perfect and and we were uh, you know it's like that thing where everybody's we're going off to college we're both going off to college same age and uh, I remember we were supposed to break up probably you know right then but I did not want to and I was like yeah we can always like if this doesn't work out then we'll break up you know long distance whatever just be like forget it but let's just see if we can do this thing and we never did break up you know still married and we she went to University of Kentucky like a bunch of my friends did which is like you know a big deal and we're big UK fans and everything and uh it enabled me 
at school instead of like going to like hang out in my girlfriend's dorm and watch TV like most people are doing or whatever or going out, then I would be writing every night. You know what I mean? I'd be working the whole time and writing every night. So that was really a good, uh, a good way for you know we kept we kept in touch and and did you know had a great relationship long distance. That's not for everybody, but it helped me have a lot of time to like really chase, um, you know, really go after what I wanted to do. Yeah. Well, how did you find a balance in there? Was it just because of the evolution of being with somebody from that young? Because I know your so. I know your general schedule. And you're yeah. very focused. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know very many people who work as hard as you do. Right. You know. Um, I I've just always been that way. So it wasn't. Um, you know, the thing is, I work hard, but I don't necessarily work more than everybody else. You know what I mean? Right. So I've, I've I've figured out ways. Over the years, to make sure that they don't come second, I say no to a lot of stuff, um, mm-hmm. uh, as much stuff as I feel like I can, and I feel like that's just a mutual respect. So I mean, she—it's all about—it's all about her, right? So I mean, she she knows how to deal with me, what to expect out of me, and then like how I'm wired, and she's the perfect complement to that. So you know, again, since we've been married, you know, when you're with somebody and they never say maybe you should get a real job, even though you're like. Right you know doing crap or losing your deal or making whatever and she was a kindergarten teacher so it's like literally the worst two jobs you can have when you get married um money money wise you know what i mean but we didn't matter whenever we would just do whatever we could do you know what i mean um eat soup and do whatever you know like we're on the street but it definitely we definitely weren't taking crazy vacations or anything so and that was several years and there's never i always tell people that man like a lot of it has to do with who you're who you're with in that in that period of your life and if they tell you if they take you seriously or not you know and she did and she just knew I would work it out you know after a, after a time and she saw how driven I was then then she was never like hey you know you should I've, I've got friends where I feel like their significant others don't ever take it seriously they still think it's a hobby you know and they never can see the big picture what could even now could be even well no, even you know what I mean like younger people when they start All out right. I had a lot of people that were my age got married young and then ended up letting the writing go after two years because it just wasn't making the amount of money they want to make. They couldn't buy a house or they couldn't buy in this neighborhood or whatever. So they went to work at a bank or whatever the deal was, you know. And so I'm just thankful for her that I never and still never felt any pressure, you know, throughout anything, you know, to like ditch that gig. You know, I, I mean, now it's no problem, you know, but at the beginning when you're not making anything, it's a big deal for somebody to continue to believe you sure you know at first it being my parents and then it being her where nobody says you're crazy nobody says you should consider having a plan b you know my only friend that um quit being an artist of any sort when he it was 2008 and left um he was on broadway as an actor and he he's just just didn't want to go to auditions anymore. Go starts working at Bear Stearns for like a, a stable job at a bank, and that's the first bank that folded in the crisis. <laughs> oh and gosh. I remember thinking, like, well, I'm just as broke today as I was yesterday. Yeah. You're now broke and weren't yesterday. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to be at least if I'm broke, I'm broke all the time. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Versus you know, like, I, if I lose everything, yeah. you know, now then it's That's my fine. own fault. But if it, it, it's not going to be because I decided to go something more stable like the banking industry. Yes. Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Um, he's my financial advisor now. There you go. There yeah, you go. He's hey. very successful now, That's but good. That's, That's pretty good. funny. Yeah, anyway, yeah. so... Um, Relationally... It's it's a big deal, you know. Even now, just kind of, there's a mutual respect there. So I'm not gonna go out on the road every weekend, or I'm not gonna work nights, 
hardly ever or or weekends or anything like that. Um, and so she knows that, you know, that she, that I say yes to what I feel like I need to say yes to. Sometimes she just keep me in check because I love, I actually love work and love the process, but not very often is there like a whole like, oh, I can't believe you have to go out with so-and-so and right. can't believe you're working. She's super respectful of that and knows that, you know, knows I'm trying to provide and do what I feel like I need to do, but not, not overdo it either. Do you ever run it by her when you have when you're like, well, this person wants me to work, and she's like, that artist is done, or no, she, she no, 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 anything no. like that? That doesn't not, happen. Not no. in like not in like uh, you're not allowed to go out, but it's like you're welcome to go out, but nothing's but yeah, gonna that's happen. A waste there. Of time. No, there's a couple maybe that she's like, oh, what are you? What are you gonna write? What are you gonna do with them? You know, <laughs> like like well, or she'll be more like, well, do something different than whatever they have out right now. Right. But uh, no, see, they're the perfect. Uh, you know, my daughter is my A and R girl, and my my wife does some of that, but we don't have the relationship where I come home, run songs by her. It, it's it's very it's separated in a good way. Now, when I have something I think is great, and I, hey, I want you to hear this, and she'll love it. You know, it's a, it's a cool thing. But it's not like I come home just going crazy about whatever we wrote that day and talk about. It. Like some some guys do that, and that's great. They have that relationship. But ours is like that's work. We leave that alone, and then we talk about our relationship or the kids or yeah. what kind of you know something else we yeah, can do. Yeah, so yeah, for sure, you know. So there's definitely been times where a song will come on the radio and. I have to tell her I wrote it, you know, when we're in the car. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's a little crazy. Um, but hopefully she didn't say, wow, this song sucks. Yeah, like, I wrote no, I'm it. I'm trying to think it's if there's, been a, there's a couple of funny times like that, yeah, where she's rolled her eyes at something. <laughs> but usually, usually she thinks it's okay. Usually she likes it. It's funny. Yeah. There's definitely one song that, you know, my wife's not a huge fan of, and she's always like, you know, oh, that was a big, yeah, it wasn't like a, not, yeah, not yours, mine. What is it? Uh, I'm say? not gonna say. Okay, okay. But <laughs> yeah. it's it's definitely one where she's always like, "Yeah, I don't ever have to hear that song again." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah there's yeah, enough yeah. stuff out that it's like it's okay. She's she's like, eh, you know, I just think you could beat this one. It's yeah, like, yeah. No, I got it. You well, know? My kids told me she was, in the, she was in the car one time and it came on, and you know, it never gets old. It's still like a supernatural thing when you hear your own song on the radio. And so they were in the car. They told me this, and and she like it comes on and she's just like mm, changes the. Uh, Sta- <laughs> no way. The station. They're like, Mom, like she had done something, like she'd like thrown out ashes of someone or something. Like, Mom, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. And she's like, Dude, I've heard that enough. I'm over that. You know, it's just really funny. But does your daughter want to play music? When you say she's an your A and R girl, I mean, yes. is there? Are, she could be this? that right now. I swear, somebody got her. She she doesn't miss. She knows hits. She she understands them. We're very similar. My, How old my, is she? She's Twelve. I'm about to be thirteen. Great, uh, great market study there or whatever. But she, um, she plays like she's taking guitar lessons and piano lessons, and she can make up stuff, you know, on her voice memo and kind of do it. She's not all in. We talked about this summer, trying to kind of get a little more, you know, progress a little bit. But she definitely, you know, if she feels out a thing at school that says I want to be a whatever when I grow up, it'll be like songwriter or teacher, like me or maybe, right. you know. So, which right. totally makes sense. So she, she knows that it's, it's cool. I know that she thinks the. Um, you know, she gets a lot of benefits from it. Gets to meet a lot of artists and hang with people her friends don't. So she she loves all that. I don't know that she's going to do that. I actually don't push. Maybe to a fault, don't push music on any of my kids like at all. I probably need to do it a little bit more. But um, I just want them to. I'm always all about them finding their passion. You know. When you say uh, a songwriter or teacher, in a weird sort of way, that's what a publisher is. Yeah. You know, and and um. You took on a role at some point saying, you know, I'm going to start signing people. I assume Tape Room was your first. Yes. You know, that's your first real joint venture. Um, why at that point were you thinking, 
it's time to when I'm already like as right. busy as I am, I'm gonna now start bringing in other writers. Right. My 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 story on that is a little bit different because I think a lot of writers once they get success are like, dude, I should sign some people and get a little extra income on something. But I even in college, I thought I was gonna be a publisher, maybe more than a writer. You know, like I even actually went back and taught three semesters of publishing adjunct, just like on the side because I love doing it. Right. Um, before the kids got a little older and I, everybody, it was madness. But um, I'll end up going back and doing that again probably because I, I love teaching creative people how the business works just so they know all angles. And so I I really, from the beginning, knew I was going to be a publisher at some point and wanted to do both. And I was just waiting um, on the right time to kind of hit the gas on that. So once I'd had what I, what I thought was enough success to to be able to spin the other plate in the air, then I, I kind of you know had a deal that included that joint venture. So that's been a while too. It's been six or seven years ago. Yeah. Um, and signed, I signed three people in that first kind of volume one of Tape Room and now I've got three um, more. So there's six of us total, you know, over the last few years, like kind of three newer ones and the three, the first three I signed are, are all like having huge success, you know, in their own right. Zach Crowell, Matt Jenkins and Jerry Flowers have all had multiple number ones and are, are killing it. And so that's been really fulfilling to try to help mentor influence them however I can you know to get where they are now so I really I love anything to do with mentoring coaching I've always I've always coached basketball and helps run anything any kind of like teaching uh you know that angle has always turned me on you know um do you have speaking of teaching do you have sort of a method as a writer that is I mean obviously you have some sort of uh, what in pop we sort of call it Song math of right, sort, right, yeah. you know, um, and uh, you and I have written in LA, and we've written last time we wrote was in Las Vegas. So yeah, obviously, yeah. you get when you're in that environment, mm-hmm. you write a certain way. Do you write differently for different genres? And when you're writing in, you know, these massive amount of hits in country, is there a through line in that right. composition? Yeah, I um, I do use a different corner of my brain in those but I think it's more of a lyrical phrasing approach you know what I mean um, if I'm working on something pop then it's the the it doesn't make perfect sense purposefully you know what I mean like in, in country it's very pedestrian in a good way like it's always something that someone has gone through or could picture themselves actually doing you know a lot of my favorite pop songs lyrics are things that aren't going to happen you know what I mean more like fantasy versus reality a little bit you know what I mean it just has a different shine to it so I still use because I grew up on pop and R&B I still use a lot of a lot of like cadences and like some of the math you know a little bit of the Swedish math uh kind of interpolated into the into the country, you know, the lifestyle, the phrasing, the melodies and the lyrics of the country um, song. So I do, I do borrow from that into the country, you know, into the country genre a little bit more yeah. than I borrow country stuff when I'm working on pop, you know? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Is that, is that more so now than usual or is that just, that's just it's how a, you It's always been like that. I mean, yeah. na- now country music's changed since the first, you know, 10 years ago when I had my first hit. It, that, that song has varying melodies, just it's all about the lyric and it's, it used to be like that, and it's still all about the lyric, a little bit. But it's it's, and you know now now the more people that listen to multiple genres, I feel like they are not going to settle for like a mediocre melody or music mm-hmm. or whatever here because they they can go get that they can go get a better melody somewhere else. So to kind of fill that void, um, the rhythms and the tracks and the the different the different sounds and the different things going on in country, um, 
just suit me really well over the last several years. So I can be a little more free melodically or voicing wise with the chords or, or whatever to kind of use a lot of that. So I'm, I'm, I'm known as a little more of a stickler for the melody, um, in this market than a lot of people are. Now there's a lot more melodic people, but definitely at the beginning of when I was having big runs, I was concentrating a lot on, uh, a lot more on melody than I think a lot of other people were. Yeah. I like that you say like when you were, when you were on a, Big runs, <laughs> you know what I mean. Just when it kind of took off a few years ago, I, and so I mean, it is pretty crazy. the The last three years to be songwriter of the year for anything is nuts. Even if it was like you're the best songwriter at home or right. something, <laughs> that'd be, that's an yeah, accomplishment on this side of town, this side of the Walgreens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's that's pretty crazy. Oh, that's really crazy to me. Yeah, that stuff doesn't sink in very well. Right. It will when you're 80. Um, Rather than going through individual songs, we're going to jump to the next segment, which is I'm going to name five people and just tell me what comes off the top of your head. That's not really the name of it. We still don't. I like what would Luke Laird say. Yeah, yeah, what would Luke Laird ask? I want a segment. That's the goal now. (laughs) Yeah. My new goal is I want a segment named after me. Okay, well, we can can probably. uh, I'll I'll think of something. All right. I'm going to hit you up about some other interviews that we got coming up. I'll keep you busy. Um, I definitely feel like we can punch some earlier interviews that we've done. <laughs> um, okay, so let's go with with five people that. Okay. okay, well, let's start with Luke Laird. I asked him on his episode. You were one of the five, so go ahead, give me Luke Laird. Oh gosh, a Luke Lairdism. I mean, we're like kindred spirits. You know what I mean? It's the first thing I really think we're so similar. You know, with our musical tastes and all that stuff, we can. We're always texting each other about basketball stuff or old hip-hop stuff or he you know he'll text me about a just a funny whatever you know like some kind of old video from new edition or something like that like we just grew up on the same stuff so and and i always say it's a generic word but nice he everybody thinks he's the nicest dude ever he smiles constantly um he's so funky i love how just i love that he goes hunting in pennsylvania and then can do a session with snoop dogg it's like the perfect you know what I mean? The, the yeah. perfect uh, gamut that he runs there. So yeah, yeah. Kindred spirits are twins a little bit. Luke Bryan. Oh man, life changer. He, he the king. He's a king of country right now. He was he was in the studio yesterday, and he nobody um, can move a crowd. You know, with the way that he does. So I mean, I've seen him in huge stadium football stadium settings, and it's amazing. Uh, another thing, one word that I thought of right off the bat is like un, unfazed. You know what I mean? Or unchanged. So I remember riding with him when he very first moved to town and he's just a f- hilarious, uh, you know, country boy and he's, and he's still that way. So if you need something, um, he's just like he always was, you know, he's right. He's like, Hey, you need a spot to go fishing or he need to know a, a whatever. Then he's, he's that guy. So I think unchanged is cool. Carrie Underwood. Oh, life changer for me, for sure. Um, and just perfect, man. What a perfect vocalist and great role model for my daughters and all that stuff. My daughter and everything. Like, so she was she was the first. You know what I mean? As far as me having success like that, having a hit, um, that was such a cool thing because I was watching. We watched American Idol like routinely, like we were in on it then. You know, whatever season that was. And so I remember literally saying like, "I got to get a song on this girl right here." You know, when she was like barely in the in the top ten. So to kind of see that all the way through and for that to happen was was insane so she i mean she's a sweetheart she's great yeah we just recorded her a couple of days ago and um i was i was telling joe that it, it's almost 
in the nicest way. Like it's almost like a party trick because it's so good and so consistent. Yes. And she can go to oh, consistent. She starts a great at, word she for starts her. at ten. Yeah. So you know, it's not like ten a.m. Like she starts the level at 10. the air level ten. Yes. So so she goes and she cuts a vocal, and you're like, I guess that's guess that yeah. was it because With, oh, you man. can only you can only do so many takes of it. Yeah. Before you're like, I think. We didn't. We can't blow your voice because you just nailed right. it. Right, and you're so you're so take. used to saying, "Okay, now let's take the energy up a notch," or "Let's now let's try to nail the melody." But every time, as soon as I finish a song, if I do a vocal with her right then, she sings it like it's like she's been living with it for a month. You know what I mean? So she is like perfect, almost to where you have to be careful that the song is as good as whatever's just randomly coming out of her mouth. You know what I mean? So that's my first thing I'm thinking while she's singing is like, "All right, this obviously sounds amazing." Is it this a hit? If like I was singing it, you know, so I'll have to like sing it to myself. Like if I'm doing this, does this still sound like a hit? Because she makes everything sound amazing. So yeah, she's so great. She's been so sweet. Brad Paisley. Oh man, I mean, you've um, had a lot of hits with him. Yeah, early believer though. Like Brad was one of the first artists I worked with um, with nothing to show. F- you know what I mean? Like it's not like I had a run of hits and then he said, "Hey, come on, come on in." So Brad's been a really good friend from the beginning. So um, he. Uh, in that kind of 2007, you know, 06, 07, 08 era, I wrote a couple of songs that were outside songs that he recorded. And then he invited me kind of in, into that circle of writers. It's really hard to get in. And always respectful, always like, you know, the hardest working dude I know. We, that's the only time I've written a song and finished at 9 a.m. Wrote all night until 9. So he's all about the late night hours and, and torturing uh, writers a little bit. But... It's funny. Yeah, he's a hard worker, but yeah, he, he, that that was one of the early, early friends. He's amazing. Um, let's go with Thomas Rhett and Rhett Akins. Because <laughs> uh, you you have so you have like God, relation yeah. totally different relationships with both of them. Yes, so. opposite ends of the spectrum. There, different. Yeah. It's the same and different. There's such an interesting dynamic and relationship. You know, like if we're writing with Rhett right now. We pack a red man, and it would be a, t- a free hunting T-shirt and jeans and boots. And Thomas Rhett would have the Adidas on and like a cooler outfit than I can ever rock, you know. Right. And but he's still country. But yeah, you know, they share a farm, and they're both like amazing in their own right. And I've written a few things with them together, and it's such an interesting dynamic the way they operate. You know, the way they kind of separate that relationship, but then it's still it's still father son. I've never seen anybody prouder than. Then Rhett, Rhett will get get carried away uh, even in a right kind of looking at some new Thomas Rhett statistics. So as as separated as they are, and as much as Thomas is a star in his own right, it's that daddy pride is just sweet every time. You know, every yeah. time he kind of they'll have some shows where he'll invite Rhett out to do like a song with him, and it's like the most amazing thing. You know, yeah. they make you cry. It's crazy. So yeah, those guys are awesome. I love those guys. We did Zach Crowell's podcast which will either be out before this or after this but yeah. let's go with zach and i think then you should probably mention you know jerry and matt and like sort of the the tape room now six i was gonna say the first three because i don't i don't know the next day yeah, maybe yeah, i do but two. let's go with those those first three oh man successful like massively successful producer writers right you know but yeah let's go with those three. Oh, zach i immediately think jelly roll or lishy 
Nice. Which random words because Jelly Roll is just a rapper, like an in-town rapper. When I when I signed Zach, he was selling hip-hop beats for cash, which this is not where you come to do that. You know, we're in Nashville. So the, just that, that has always been hilarious to me, and I loved that about him. And he was just straight, I mean, just rap beats like crazy, not a drop of anything else. And I always thought that was great. And Lishy's the house where he, where he lived. He's moved now into Forest Hills, but... It was just an awesome spot, like this house, where he just kept believing in himself. He was recording Sam Hunt vocals in there on like a cheap mic with no booth or anything, you know. So just seeing him grow from that place, you know, that street, um, and hasn't changed at all, except he's changed, you know, locations and stuff like that. Now he's got a couple kids and everything. Um, but yeah, that that street will always be, and that house will always be like a special thing. We've we've made a lot of hits in there, and he's recorded lots of people in there. It's like amazing when he's telling people to come to his house and they're like, this house? He's like, yeah, that's the one. Come on in. You yeah. know? Um, but he's been amazing. He's definitely, I wrote I wrote the first song with him that he ever wrote. Um, and so, you know, getting in on the ground floor, like the real ground floor with somebody like that is special. And he's he's got an amazing, amazing song instincts and track instincts um, and production instincts. So I'm just glad to, to be a part of his career. What about the other two? Matt, uh, or Jerry, I mean, br- prodigy. Like Jerry Flowers, people don't know, he plays everything ridiculously and sings like a maniac, you know, and he doesn't get a lot of a chance to do that as much as he could. He, he's the MD's music director for Keith Urban, so he'll play, you know, he plays bass in the band or he'll play guitar or whatever. You know, they all switch around. They're all brilliant in that band. Yeah. Um, but he can do some pop stuff, some R&B stuff. He, he knows all that stuff inside out. So he's just really, really... Uh, really amazing, and he's had some bad luck on stuff where he's almost, I mean, for years and years, he would get big cuts and then not get the single or something, the bottom would drop out. Um, and I think a lot of other people would have quit. And he, uh, you know, when we signed him, um, that was why I signed him because I knew he was, he was relentless and he was ready to, ready to like get some new energy and get it all going. He's met an awesome girl and gotten married and his whole life's changed around. So he's completely, completely transformed. I've gotten, I've gotten to see that and uh, he's been rewarded from with some success from that. So he's just a, you know, a great guy who's in a great spot now. So I've I've, I've gotten to see that transition. Even when I came out here and we first wrote, mm-hmm. like I didn't. It's not like I don't think I had had any cuts out here, and I had some some pop albums. But you were you've always been willing to write with whoever's next. And you're yeah, always definitely, and you don't, but you don't ever know that you take that risk, and it's hard. It's hard yeah. when you're busy, and at the time you're having. So many hits that to go and say, you know, I'm going to spend a day with this unknown writer, whoever that may be, right. takes is a certain risk, and it, and I'm always impressed by that. And it, it's one of those things that reminds probably a lot of other writers that, well, Ashley's probably writing with that person because he doesn't care, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna go and take that risk, right? And without people like you in it, it becomes harder for the people who are next to yeah. move in. Yeah. And you keep opening doors for all these people, and it's it's really impressive. But there's that and the fact that I, I, maybe you got a new car since the last time I saw you. But Oh, no, it's out there. But yeah, like, <laughs> I am getting you, one soon. But that's yeah. the whole thing. I mean, you just yeah. don't care. Right. You yeah, just I'm don't, you know, we, we've had a lot of conversations on a personal note, I know that you know I've had we've had some health issues in yeah. my life, and and you've always been. You text me. You take care of other writers. You take care of other. I'm, I imagine other publishers, other artists, and you're just 
you're you're leading by example, and and I hope people in all genres recognize that it's it is really a community, but it's a community if we make it a community. Right, right, right. yeah, it's it, up to us. It's not, yeah, it's up to us. Yeah. You know, so thank you for being you, and thank you for doing oh, this. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a special special business, man, and and people like you guys that are in different genres. Just, I mean, you can you can tell you can tell. If somebody's a great guy that you can get along with, that's the first thing before you know how great of a singer or anything else they are in the room or the, their skill level. So, um, yeah, I think I think we're, we're blessed. We're all blessed with a good instinct of if the people are somebody we want to be around, then we can do something you know great together. So that's always been the way I look at it, and it's uh, it's fun to try new stuff, meet new people. I always love doing that. You know, get to know them on on all levels, blur all the lines. You know. Yeah. All right, man. Well, let's go write a song. Let's try. Let's do all right. it. Thanks. If you missed the 51st annual CMA Awards last night on ABC, you can check out the winners and highlights of your favorite artists, including Garth Brooks, Carrie Underwood, Luke Bryan, and many more by visiting cmaawards.com or watch on On Demand. Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. On next episode, we sit down with Zach Crowell. It was, it was awesome. So it was like in a month, we were, I was going to go out to LA and, and do a week out there. And in that time, he heard Cop Car. I threw, I th- I'm pretty sure my publisher, uh, Chris Farron at Combustion Music, I'm 99% sure he sent it to him. And uh, But Keith didn't know that I wrote it. He didn't know that the guy whose tracks he was liking the guy who was hiring to come out there, he didn't realize that it was the same guy. Uh, he just loved this song, Cop Car, and he also loved these other guys' sounds. Somewhere in that month of us coming out there, he put it together. I don't know if Jerry told him or whatever, but the first day at rehearsals, I'm in LA at SIR or whatever room, and I'm you know just sitting there with my laptop, and I'm just trying to be one of the cool kids because I've never been, still not, but still uh, never been in the you know room with super talented people. And Keith walks in and, he comes up to me and introduces himself and gives me a big hug and gives me this look and says, he says, me and you need to get in the studio sometime, my friend. And like, I had heard that he had heard Cop Car, but I can't be the, it took everything in my power not to go like, Keith, you know, yeah. do you like my song, man? You know, I'm just trying to be cool. I'm like consciously saying, play it cool in my head. Very professional. Yeah, it was, yeah. but I'm like freaking out. And uh, uh, the first day, he didn't say anything. That night, my publishers are calling me. They're like, did he say anything about the song? Did he say anything? I'm like, no, he didn't say anything. I'm just going to play it cool, keep playing it cool. And the next day, Keith, I swear he did it to me on purpose. Uh, he knew he was going to give me a memory. Like, I swear he like... So I'm sitting there the next day with my laptop, my drum machine program, whatever I'm doing. And that guy, and I'm so glad he did, he walks over to me with a guitar. We've never talked about the song before. Sits down next to me. And starts singing me the song. He goes, we drove right past that no train. I'm sitting there like, I'm like, that's, I'm like, this dude's singing my song to me, you know. And it, he knows what he's doing. He totally knows what he's yeah. doing.
Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.